know what I'm saying. Should they call me narrow-minded? <laughs> I have no recollection of that. You old dinosaur. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Welcome to the intro. I'm Josh Anderson. I'm Bob Galen. Yeah. Metacasters, boys and girls, fathers and mothers, dogs and cats. We've got a special guest today. Day, day, day. Give us a tease. Just say, hello, Bob. Hello, Bob. That's him. On to the episode. Welcome to the Metacast. I'm Josh Anderson. And I'm Bob Galen. And and we have a special guest. We do. Could 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 the voice come from the? What's up? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for 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 those of you, because I know everyone did listen to the previous episode. Yes, we were talking about product owners in 2020, how they've evolved and over time, how yes. our views have evolved <clears throat> on product owners. Bob just gave me the finger. Um, and I brought up a friend of ours was doing some pretty cool things with product owners and the role and how they were doing. I did a poor job. And I think I reacted really well to that. I mean, I, <laughs> I, was, incredibly- I was like a dog with a bow. <laughs> I so let it go. Eric Hannon, the third voice that you hear is a friend of ours who was doing some cool stuff with product owners. Absolutely. And Oh, absolutely. Boy, has Bob changed to this tune? No, no, no. <clears throat> no. I respect Eric, for God's sakes. Eric Very has much. some notes that he may bring up he, a little bit later about well, words Well, I you respected used. him before he brought an entire <laughs> notepad of notes with him. Uh, okay. So, Eric was doing some cool things with product owners. He shared some of it with me. I tried to share it with Bob in our product owner episode. Yep. I don't think I did a good job explaining it. So I said, Hey, we need to get Eric in here to actually share the facts rather than me, like paraphrasing and doing the telephone game and getting it wrong. So he's here to educate some. So, so on the evolution of product owners, this is a three way today. Yes, it is. It is. We, we hardly ever have a three way. I know. I know. There've been like five in the entire History. In, in like 180 episodes, yep. for God's sakes, right? Yep. So We're cool. evolving. We're getting better. I think evolution is a word that will be consistent in <laughs> oh, today's theme. Oh, I going to be every time you say it. <laughs> you just can, you keep grinding that out. Well, and the reason is Bob had some, how would you turn those Archaic? phrases? Critical. No. Critical? Old-fashioned. Old-fashioned. Okay. Out of date. Wow. <laughs> Cena, perhaps? <laughs> Maybe I was hallucinating. Maybe I was talking about the Declaration of Independence or something like that. And I confused it with product ownership. Maybe. You Maybe. Know, okay, so. Well, you did say your thoughts were pre-Eric. And yeah. I'm not young. So. Yeah. I would agree with that. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to lay the groundwork. Yep. And then I'll pass it off to you, Eric, to elaborate on what I've gotten wrong or fix or anything. You got it. 
So we're going to explore that a little <clears throat> bit Yeah, yeah. More. So yeah. we're going to dig in and talk about there, there are other ways to do the product owner role in air quotes um, as we've learned and as we've grown and, Could, and, and as your organization evolves. This is not something you should do. With a brand new organization that is not quite ready for yet. Ooh, as Eric oh, maybe. ponders. Maybe. Yeah, so let's see. Maybe I shouldn't have those thoughts. And so we'll just. Can we, can we do product owner? But remember the last time we were also doing, uh, like, what's on your mind? It's 2020. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm thinking, like, half the episode, we allow Eric to pummel me, <laughs> right? And, and, and retire me. Uh, and we have some passionate whatever debate discussion, yeah. but then maybe we open it up and get out of product owner land a little bit and sure. see what's on while he's here. Yeah. Pick his mind on what, like, what's, what, what are you feeling about 2020, agile 2020? Yeah. Patterns you like, anti patterns that have been around for a long time. Would that be all right? Yeah. Yeah. Good. There is definitely more to Eric than product owners. I know that. Yeah. I know. That's a great point. I'm so excited. All right, cool. Okay. Let's dig into the product owners. Okay. Eric, do you want me to set the stage or do you just want to like run with it? Let him run with it. He's got a he's got a freaking Let the list. man answer. I, I said Eric, do you want? And then you answered. He's got a list. Jeez, oh peace. I had a feeling this was gonna happen. Airtime's gonna be hard today. <laughs> yeah, it is. We're everybody's aware. Like, oh, this poor guy. <laughs> That's why I brought notes. You could get lost in the yeah. Stream words that come. Okay, from so inside. I am going to turn off Bob's mic while while you while you start talking. Are you serious? I can do that. Oh, okay, Eric, the floor is yours. Well, I mean, I guess the first thing I want to say is this wasn't my idea alone. Like, I did have a great team that I was working yeah. with at Transloc at the time. So, um, shout out to them. I have their names, but I won't name drop because you know. That would get cut. Anyway, so there were a couple problems that we were trying to solve when we came up with this idea. Um, one of the things that we saw was we really wanted to get our POs and our, or our PMs uh, more time with the customer in the market. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Bob, Bob, just let the guy talk. He's, he, I turned his microphone now, so he's moved to distraction. <laughs> he's, he's so uncomfortable with somebody having airtime. He's holding the space for me in a very uh Yeah. It is not a safe space with Bob here. Yeah. I think I just made that up. Okay. It'll work. That's fine. Anyway. Sounds good. So a couple right. problems that we were trying to solve. We really wanted to get our, our POs, our PMs more time with the customer in the market. Um, there was a lot of um, inside work, which is obviously necessary and things that need to get done. We also saw um, a handoff between the POs and PMs. And of course, lean thinking, man, they're Anytime we see a handoff, there's waste. What can we do to eliminate waste? And then the third thing that we saw, and this wasn't anything, any bad thing with the POs at all, but we saw a lot of the engineering teams going to the PMs because they wanted to learn more about the long-term vision. Where is this product going? What are the customers saying? Where is the market going? And that's really um, attributed to the type of engineers that Jamie hired. He did a great job of hiring those. So we saw some of these things happening, and we said, man, what is something that we could do? Could you make the distinction between PMPO? Yes. Just just so in the context that you're talking sure. about. Absolutely. So I think it's a pretty traditional split of PMs were responsible for more of the long-term vision. 
more of the market development, uh, customer development, that kind of thing. POs had more of the short-term vision, so the three to six months, you know, how do I execute on that long-term strategy? So product manager, external sort of yep. product owner internally facing Correct. with some collaboration between them. Correct. Okay, cool. So the idea came uh, out of a group discussion one day. What happens if we would actually conflate the PMPO role into a single role and elevate the engineer teams into the problem space? So giving our PMs more time to actually get out into the market, talk with customers, do the market development, do the competitive analysis, do that kind of thing. Could we actually do that? Could that be an experiment that we could run? And a couple of things that we knew that we would have to think about. One is, okay, if we're going to do that, teams are going to slow down. We're adding work right. to their thing. So velocity is going to take a hit. Two, right now, all we really have is a creation track, if you will, or a scrum track. Like we're doing scrum, but we now need to add in some of these product things, some product discovery, some UX research, some um, technical discovery, that kind of thing. So what we ended up doing was we um, we did that conflation of the PO to the PM role, so they became PMs. We elevated the team, and then we created what we called a dual track, a dual discovery creation track. So while we're also developing, we were working on product discovery for the next thing coming up. So the team was involved in the product discovery. What was the horizon for that look ahead, roughly? Yeah, uh, we. I would say probably, th- probably three to six months. Okay, so it wasn't it wasn't like a sprint horizon. It was no. uh, It was like a three to six month horizon. So okay. Yeah, right. we wanted to try to keep a, a pretty decent backlog, so we knew what was coming up. We wanted to give time for um, for the product discovery to happen, to talk to customers, yep. to talk to internal customers, and all the things that you'd have to do for a good release. So if I said you got rid of you aggregated PMPO role and they became, I'm trying to clarify like, like you know, like what parts of the role did the team inherit? So POs became full PMs and the PM did nothing in the product owner space and the teams became a full-fledged product owner in role or was there some, I'm trying to tease yeah. apart, was there some overlap? I would say there was overlap, right? It wasn't, it wasn't that we completely eliminated the PO role um, because that, I mean, to, to your point, that is dangerous. Um, but some of the things just taken from the Scrum Guide, this is actually from your article that you wrote on product management. <clears throat> um, oh my, this a is PO all... should clearly... Is so weak when people quote stuff. <laughs> well, this is actually straight from the Scrum Guide, so... Oh, cool. So this is going to be strong. Okay. Some oh. of the other things... Oh, are you going to nail me? No, I'm not going to... No, well, okay. actually, I might nail you at one point. All right, go ahead. Um, so, a PO should clearly express product backlog items. We felt that was team should absolutely be able to do that. Um, order the items in the product backlog to best achieve goals and missions. This was uh, turned into more of a collaboration. So, when we did discoveries. Teams would actually write stories, uh, write individual stories with the acceptance criteria in collaboration with the product owner or the product manager, excuse me. Um, and they would work on, okay, what is the priority? So, again, it was a, it was a big collaboration. Um, ensuring the value of the work the development team performs. Again, because we were doing the product discovery, that was a, a joint effort. It was a team responsibility, not solely a product owner responsibility. So like sign-off would be a team? Is that what we're... Like there's a confirmation of value received, right? So 
team would confirm the value. The team would confirm the value, and they would also they would still work with the product manager on that to make sure that so uh, worry, they weren't missing anything. I would worry about if I concept it right, and sure. then I confirm it. There's no separate. And not that I don't trust your team, but right, I would want an external voice in that. Okay, all right, go ahead. Oh, um, he's getting to the notes. He's getting to the <laughs> deep cuts on Bob. No, these are just again. This no, is all scrum guide stuff. No, no, we're um, having a conversation about it. I, I appreciate the clarity. You didn't articulate. I'm not picking on you. No, I know I did a terrible job trying to explain this. That's yeah, why Eric's see, here. See, I'm, yeah, I'm trying. Yeah. To, I'm trying to figure out what they were doing. Right? Yeah. Welcome to our diversity and inclusion minutes. Cool. <laughs> it's we are the king of smooth kings of smooth transitions. Smooth transitions. Like, it's amazing. We should do this for so a So do living. you want to go first? You want me to go first? You go first. You're already talking. So I don't have something I've done. I've some well, I mean I'm I this is like a prayer a prayer thing. So I've been at Medicasters, if you've been involved, you know that I'm supporting a group in Nigeria that's teaching young ladies over there. They just they just finished their boot camp. They just graduation and someone got a job, I think. At least nice. one person got a job. And and these are for young women mm-hmm. in that society who are entering the workplace. So it was really exciting. Uh but I don't know if you heard but there was there was a uh, the young folks over there were having a uh, demonstration and the police and the military mm-hmm. came up and was shooting at people and they killed them. And this is just, this was like three or four weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And this is just in the news now. So I think I mentioned it in a Metacast, but my heart is getting into that. Uh, in fact, one, one young man who was helping this, this girl that I work with or this lady that I work with over there, he was killed. He, he was doing like her marketing or something like that. And he was killed. They were just shooting at people. They were peacefully demonstrating mm-hmm. and they just shot at them. So, um, Metacasters, I, if there's anything you can do, um, we talk about what Josh and I are doing. If we can not lose sight of what's going on in Nigeria, it's two, it's 2020 and 2021 and, and peaceful demonstrations are getting shot and killed. And that's just unacceptable. So anything you can do, like post about it, uh, check into it, contribute to it, but pray for, for those folks over there. It's, I sometimes don't realize how hard the world is sometimes. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, I looked at the U.S. and it's like our elections and things are hard, but people are losing their lives around the world. So, so that's what I've got. So don't, don't lose sight of Africa. Don't lose sight of what's going on in Nigeria. Yes. So I just finished the, so you want to talk about race book and it took me way longer than it should have, but I really recommend that everybody read that or listen to it. However you choose to consume books, because it does talk about, the privilege that we often so rarely value and understand the difference that it has made. And it is an eye opener of a book for many reasons. And one of the things, one of the chapters was about the intersectionality, which is an interesting term and the real challenge that women of color have people of color have a problem. Women of color have it even worse and how that even becomes a problem of like, well, Hey, we're all black or we're all whatever. And like, Hey, we're all wrestling with the same thing. And we're like, well, no, like I've got this and this and it's, and it's hard and it's potentially harder. So awareness of that, I, I can't recommend that book enough. It's, it's making the rounds in my family. I just talked to my 16 year old daughter and I told her like, you have to read this. 
Um, my oldest son will be reading it soon, um, probably in the next couple of years. He's like 14. So I'm going to let him understand the world a little bit better before I hand him that book. But it's but it's close. It, it It's something that they need to understand. So the younger generation is more aware of that, which is good. Thanks to social media, there's some good stuff that social media creates. It's not all good, but I think that's something that it has educated the younger generation beyond just the school they go to or the city that they live in because they see across the entire world. So there's that. Um, last thing is I'm excited about the real changes that we're making to our hiring process to try and create more diversity in our, um, company. They're like it, it, it's a thing. It's like a requirement for us where we are trying to drive change with like, this is not good enough. Um, so there's, there's, there's good movement there that I'm excited about. So if, if you're hiring, talk to your HR partner or consultant or whoever it may be and just say, how can we get better at hiring more diverse candidates? And it takes a lot more than that. Cause I've been talking about this for months now and we have been very intentional about it, but we're not there yet. So like strap in, get ready to roll. Cause it's going to be a battle, but that's, that's something that you can drive change if you're willing to, to dedicate yourself to it. Very cool. Let's get back to the episode. Let's. Can I ask a question? Just like a yep. foundational question. What was the problem you were trying to solve with this? It sounded like there were a handful of things going on. Some positives that came out of it. Like what was the thing where you and your team said, we got to fix this. I would say disempowered product owners where we had team team members uh, very well intentioned and meaning going to PMs to get the long-term vision, which really rendered the product owners powerless um, and kind of relegated them just admins of the backlog. Like, oh, here are the stories that we have to do. Here's the order that we're going to do it in. No real or not, not real, no, not a lot of ownership and autonomy over the work that they were doing. So we decided, okay, well, how can we change this systematically so that we can see more empowerment and autonomy? And thus, we came up with, what if we conflate the PMPO role and elevate the team into the problem space? See, I can see that. I didn't hear that. Um, when I explained it? Yeah, when you explained yeah. it. I wasn't trying to throw you under the bus. You're allowed to. No. I, you do but, all the But time. I didn't hear. That, that actually makes sense. To, I mean, I see that problem a lot. I mean, you had a choice. You have a choice of fixing it, whatever that means, right? Like empowering the POs and changing the system dynamics that way. Uh, but also, this is an interesting. You could aggregate the roles and just elevate the team a little bit, and and that to me would be a fair change as well. Now I get. Now I get that. Okay, cool. Okay. I like the congruent nature of that, which is saying project product managers now take on the peak, right? You, yeah, you own you own the you know you're this care you know caretakers of the vision anyway. Yeah, so let's let's call it the way it is. <laughs> yeah, and it, it sort of puts a little bit of a burden on them from a from a system change perspective, like a little self awareness thing on them. What what didn't work with this change? Ooh, or Ooh, or, really or was it wonderfully magical? And you're like, we should have done this years ago. And here's why I ask. Um, because there have been times where something like Spotify comes out and people are like, we're doing Spotify. Woo. Yeah. And they just like 
blindly adopt things without really understanding it or really knowing what that means and the changes that they introduce into their system and like things get worse. So there's a potential that somebody could hear is like, that's a great idea. And it is a good idea, but your organization has to be ready and healthy enough to make this happen. So I, I want to give people potential pitfalls, potential challenges to this approach so that if you decide to go in this direction, your eyes wide open and not like this is like Nirvana and nothing's ever going to go wrong when, you know, yeah, that's a great question. So I think some of the things that we had to do, one is we had to change the, or not really change, we had to evolve the thinking of the development team, um, that you're not just there to write code, but right. you're there to solve problems. And I really give Jamie Howard a ton of credit for how he hired the engineers there. He often would say, I'm not paying you to write code, I'm paying you to solve problems. Right. And part of that solving problems looks like talking to customers, going on customer visits, doing UX calls, that kind of thing. So broadening the scope of what it means to be an engineer, something that we had to to teach, we had to reinforce, we had to make uh, the budget for, because if you're going to go visit customers, you have to have the budget to be able to do that. Um, I think the other thing that I mentioned, too, is that slowdown in velocity, right? We had to educate the the business that, hey, we're making this change. We're going to run this dual discovery creation track, which, of course, we didn't use those words. But that means we're going to slow down a little bit because we're adding more work. But the payoff is we're going to have more uh, more richer solutions, which is great grammar. That's all right. It was good. Hey, you should hear some of the stuff that flies out of our mouth. Well, you have. Yeah. You've listened. Yeah. So question that you're saying business, we're slowing down. That often creates chaos and panic. But you obviously had to partner that with like, here's what you get, that more richer thing. Did that become a reality where you felt like the teams delivered a better product? In my biased brain and maybe revisionist history, I would love to say that we did. Um, I know customer experience oftentimes would say, hey, do you guys even know what our customers do? Do you know how they use the software? And I believe I heard less and less in that as these changes took hold. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so that is a measure that you could do. Does your customer-facing support team feel like you've built a product that is more in sync with the user's needs and they get fewer and fewer calls about what the hell is this? Well, how long, I mean, part of it, yeah, but, yep. Part of Go. it is like how long it takes time. So yeah. how lo- what was the duration of this roughly just like in quarters oh, or something? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say we probably started this year two that I was there and it was still going when I left two years later. So, so it's a two year duration. So it's not a short duration. It's not a short duration. And a lot, I mean, this was all, yeah, you know, so my reaction is almost like measure that over. I mean, that's a gradual yeah. curve. Oh, yeah. I right. Imagine, yeah. Right. Just for learning curve and things mm-hmm. like that. If you're looking at like customer support, because that's the end of the tail. Yeah. Like, are they? Are yeah. They lagging metric. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So one of the things in my notes that I took, and as I was thinking about this last night, typing furiously as I 
recalled some of Bob's words. Some of Bob's harsh words. Can we stop and crap? Yeah, can we revisit some of those arrows that were slung your way? He said, now he did preface it (laughs) saying that this is all in love, but you're full of crap. He does that all the time. (laughs) So I had some loving crap thrown at me. (laughs) It was, it was steamy. (laughs) Yeah. He, uh, he was like a dog with a bone that didn't want to give up this idea that yeah. he was right and I was wrong. Yeah. And that I had a narrow view of product. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. I don't think he wow. knows that I actually spent time as a product owner. Wow. At one point in my career. Mm. Wow. Gosh. <laughs> well, that totally changes everything you said. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I love uh, you, Bobby. Uh, I, I know. Oh, man. I mean, in listening to, to you reactions, and you can hit me again with, it's not. I don't want to get to narrow view or, or anything. Um, I didn't understand what you were doing, um, so now I do. <laughs> I still no. <laughs> uh, I, I still have a worry. I have. Uh, I have a twofold worry. Uh, it's. It's. And it's not judging. Let's say, out of you know, you did this, so it's not pointing at you. You, you sure. have your own success, right? You're in a context. But let's say there's 10,000 people listening to this, and 10,000 people did exactly the same thing. Sure. So what would be my concern? Because you had, you had a con- Yes. The one concern I have is not fixing the product owner, product manager, embrace your roles the way you should. We're going to, right, we're going to conflate the roles and do something else. Is, so you could have, you could have fit, not, not you, but in general, there is an option to to empower the product owner role yes right to empower the product owner role i I mean i've seen Mm -hmm. the entire world i've seen that anti-pattern but there are product owners in the world that are fully empowered and have a a crisp partnership with their product manager uh and their teams look at them as like there is not this skip skip level thing they look at them they're 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 both sharing the vision they're both driving the vision uh, and UX is happening there, and look ahead is happening there with the team. So you could have taken that approach, right? Or other people could take that approach. It's like, so I'm not suggesting not fix it or not adjust. So, so that thing. Um, and then the other concern I have is, and I think I was talking about this, is just, um, I, I, it, and I was talking about testers, so I wasn't just talking about product. Yep, I remember it's that. this notion of professionalism in the role. Sure. What we're doing, and, and you even, you know, in, like UX is a discipline. I, I, some of the best UX folks I've met have done it for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. I, I remember one lady who was maybe Teradate even hired her. I forget her name. Um, but, you know, she had a PhD in user design. This is what she did. She was a professional. So they did customer interviews. They had skills around that. It's a broad role. It's a deep role. That's a profession. Development profession, right? Back 100%. Right? Testing profession. Product profession. And I, I, I just worry when, when we ask a team to, oh, we're, you're going to be the product owner. So you're mm-hmm. going to become product literate. It's not even just overwork. Do they have... The view, are they going to be the best damn product? There's this excellence of craft and excellence of profession, and will teams have the duality? Yeah, I, of that, and 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 does it make sense to do that? Yeah, I, I've done something unintentionally similar, but the key requirement were the engineers. 
was we had to hire very intentionally with that mindset. And the time I did it, I hired people that I had hired before. So I knew their mindset was there and they already operate. They wanted to work like that. So I think you can do this with the right engineers. I think the hurdle is the larger you are, the harder it will be to continually find engineers that operate like that. Now, the larger you are, there's also a system that they plug into and they see, oh, this is how it works. So I would be nervous about going big with this, but if you do it well big, then that engineer that comes in is going to look around like, oh, okay, this is how we do it and just plug in and change their mindset and get rolling. But it is, it's harder. I think there's value in it. So it's one of those like, you know, Casey at bat, it's a, like you grip that bat and you swing. And if you hit it, you knock it way out of the park, but there's potential for a swing and a miss. And there's a handful of variables. If you think you have all those variables under control, I think. Let me challenge you again a little bit. And I'm with what you guys are saying, Yeah. but then what are you? Right. What are like, I, I have that joke, you know, you're a manager, you're a scrum master, Mm -hmm. you're a team member and you're a tester. What are you? Right. Right. You're not, you can't be all of those things. Cause I, I'll quiz you in all four of those areas and you will fail. You'll be mediocre, mediocre, maybe above average and maybe mediocre. Cause I'm, cause my bar is the profession is the excellence of each one of those roles. Right. So, so when you're diluting yourself, what are you? Mm-hmm. So what are those folks? Are they product owners or are they developers? What, what, what do they learn? Where, what do they have an affinity for? What books do they read? Right. What technologies do they keep? Like I want people, and again, this is a dinosaur. Arguably, <laughs> this is a dinosaurish view, I guess, but I want people to say, I am this. Yeah. Right. I'm not, t- right. This is the core of the T-shape. You know what I'm, this is, I can do, I can wash cars. I can, I can do a little carpentry. I can put f- fish food in the, in the jar. But this is what I have an affinity for. Yeah. Right. And I'm always going to be reading books in this area. This is where my passion is. And, and what we're saying is I am, I am a dev, dev po. Right. Yeah. I, I think the, and I, I want you to, I want you to argue back because I, and I think for them, I'm just, I want an identity. I want them to have, this is what I do. I'm sure. a professional this. Right. What I found is there are engineers who don't just want to sling code. They want to deliver solutions to a customer, and they feel they do a better job the closer they are to the problem. They get frustrated when that problem is over there or somebody is being this translation layer. No, but dude, I'm with you. I am not saying code slinger. Professional development is very broad, but we're calling them a dev po. You that are. means right. No, I want to develop. So what? What are they? I come back to my question for both of you. What are they? Are they a deep developer or are they a deep product owner or are they both? What are they? And I'm not talking about superficial. I'm yeah, talking about a kick-ass product owner, whatever that, and kick-ass developer, which never never stops. And a kick-ass a kick-ass developer, it, it does what I expect them to do. What you're talking about, yeah. Right? Not solutions. I don't want code writers. I want solution. Yeah. But uh, a kick-ass PO. So go ahead. So I, I think I have a frame for that, for what you're saying, and I'm really glad you brought that up. The way that I've I framed it as I was thinking about this last night, and actually this is – we're doing a little bit of shift of this in my current company too, is 
the words that I've used is shifting from development teams to product teams. Ah, so okay. historically, um, a lot of the product work is usually usually is a strong word. I, I'm stereotyping. I realize it's not true everywhere. So let me say that before you get a whole bunch of responses. Um, but a lot of times the product work is done in a black box. It's done outside of the team. Yep. Right. And even Bob Galen said, this quadrant is truly externally <laughs> facing either toward internal stakeholders or towards the outbound customer. Nowhere in this quad- quadrant that I speak about the agile or scrum team. This was Bob's words. <laughs> So what I'm what I'm proposing is that hurt you, by the way, right? <laughs> that did not. It came out much easier than it went back in. <laughs> well, w- what I'm proposing is that I I, I agree with you. I want uh, professional, experienced, kick-ass product people. I think we yep. absolutely need them. Yep. Not trying to minimize that role at all. It's a necessary role. Right. But what I think it needs to evolve to is product as a team sport, much yeah. like development has become a team sport. Absolutely. So that's the, the idea of raising the team into the problem space is giving them more ownership and autonomy over that area, um, doing the product yeah. work alongside of these skilled people. So you're getting these rich I've, results. I've said in presentations, I don't know if I quoted it in the book, you'll tell me, but <laughs> I talked about a product owner, in, in a lot of conference talks, I talk about the product owner. One of their prime jobs is to create mini-me's on the part of the team. Sure. So what they're doing is the, I, I want that product mindset in the team. Yep. Now, again, they're not becoming their mini product owners because they're, they don't have the time. Then, you know, you don't have the time and it probably doesn't make the investment sense to turn them into product owners like we're talking about. But having that, I love product team, having that awareness, having that collaborative view. We're solving. So as a team with the product owner or manager you know, involved, we're solving customer problems, right? We're providing right. value. Absolutely. Okay. So we're aligned. I think. I think we are. <laughs> and 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 I withdraw all of those nasty comments. Too late. I, it's, is it too late? They're it's on the internet. It's been downloaded thousands of times. times. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, I have written on the walls in my office. <laughs> it's my fuel for when I get up I mean, in the morning. I, I think we're, that's really all I was trying to get at is is this identity thing, right? Sure. It's it's the identity of like this. Be professionals. That's not so. Would you equate it to the quality assistance evolution where people are evolving away from quality assurance where they are the gate and this right. is a thing Yes, similar that it's like product assistance or something like that where you have that really high, highly skilled, highly trained product person that leads the charge and helps support others that are well, that's why that I role. tried to yeah. bring up the quality thing the last time because, yeah. because I see a lot of people firing. They're rolling QA into the team, yeah. but they're rolling superficial Q, yeah. QA into the team, and then no, and then they're firing everyone else. So there's no one else to do it, and then they're like, "Oh, QA is being done in the team." I'm like, "No, you have a gap now. Organizationally, you have a choice. You can you can choose not to fill that, but I think that's you know short sighted." Right. Yeah. I, mean, I have one of those. So it, it's it's not even – it's the expertise I'm fighting for. Yeah, that, that's that's my biggest fear with um, celebrating something like this, which we should because it's an yeah. interesting evolution, is that someone upstream says, hmm, 
I can get rid of a role. I can save some money. I can do a thing. Correct. When in reality, they blindly do that and make things harder where there's so much of a system that has to be set up for this to be successful yep. that you 100%. didn't, you yep. didn't fire people. No. Right. You, you, you gave them a different area to focus. Right. Correct. The yeah. other thing is even the multitasking I've seen years ago, it's evolved away from this, but when in the early instances of scrum product managers became product owners so, but they, they had both roles. Yeah. So it was an overloaded role. And that was just incredibly common. So these poor product, and, and if you look at product management, product management is a really, if you look at like pragmatic marketing yeah. and, and the, the depth and breadth of the role in big companies is freaking like a lot of stuff that yeah. you do, right? Yeah. You do pricing, you do sales programs, you do uh, a lot of presentation stuff, the all externally facing stuff. So it's, it's time consuming. And then they cobbled together. Oh, now you're a product owner too. Yeah. And I also worry about that overload of the role. So there's a professional nature of it, but that's, you want people to do it. I, I don't want, if you can be a PM and a PO in one role and do a kick-ass job on both sides, then do it. Yeah. But I see so very few people. Yeah. I'm, I'm in my role. I'm actually actively doing the opposite of, of this because we had a single person trying to do all of these things and we just, we aren't there. So we need to have distinct product manager roles and distinct product owner roles and, and make that a thing over time, five years from now, as we evolve as an organization, there's a potential that we could get to where Eric and his yeah. team were, but we're, we're not there yet. We, we, we are doing the opposite to make sure we have consistency and clarity. And, and we actually create that healthy system that you had that you could say, okay, let's fine tune this. We, yep. You know, there are so many people that aren't in the fine tuning mode. It's like, we just need to do the thing and do it well. Well, I think and that's hard the, enough. The key word that you said there was healthy system. Like the system that we had there was amazing. Like, it was it was one of a kind in a lot of ways. And I was super lucky to have that kind of environment mm-hmm. where we could do those kind of experiments and see. You just took the word out of my mouth. I was going to say, I mean, kudos to you for running the experiment, right. Or inspiring the experiment and trying, and the environment was safe for that as well. Right. So, so just, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I mean, forget what Josh or Eric or Bob says, I mean, run your, yes, listen to this, but run your, run your experiments in your domain. And then if it's working, who gives a rat's butt? <laughs> right. Bob Galen says, if it's, if it's working in, mm-hmm. in your environment and you're, and how, what would be working? I guess producing kick ass, I mean, like products from a customer point of view and having a little bit of joy doing it or something like that. So. Yeah. yeah. Experiment and learn rapidly. Yeah. Right. What, what are the problems that you're facing and, uh, what are different ways you can solve it? You well, know? probably required a little courage for you to go there to some degree as well, right? It's not just – we use the experiment word sort of flippantly sometimes. But, I mean, you had – this was an organizational adjustment, right? Yes. Uh, this was a role adjustment. So that's a courageous experiment. So I beat you up a little bit. I'm, I'm tr- Yeah, nicely, nicely played. Can we move on to other stuff? <laughs> Bob wants to get away from this topic. I want, so I want to get away from this topic so bad. I have never seen Bob not want to talk about something you, like this. No, no, no. It's it's I I I'm conflict averse. <laughs> I'm just a roly poly like teddy bear kind of, and it's Christmas time. I don't want to get into. It's not even Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving yeah, thank you, Eric. 
Jeez. You just, I'm so not, glad you did that, Eric. I'm just wiggling on the fucking thing. <laughs> yeah. not, and and we're trying to turn up the fire. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. What, all right. And, and also, what, what else? 20, 2020. Soon to be 2021. 2021. You've been doing Agile for a long time, right? New Scrum Guy just came out. Yep. Scaling patterns. You've been in a new job. Your your purview is changing and shifting and stuff. What's what's on your mind? Uh, either things that you're proud of in our evolution or things that just stick in your crawl. I'd emphasize the things that stick in your crawl. <laughs> now, we just covered that yeah. for 30 minutes. Well, no, but other things, not just product. <laughs> oh, if you want to go to stick in the crawl, I mean, yeah. we could reopen the uh, internal versus external coaches. And have that argument. <laughs> wow. I sense a theme here. Yes. Is, I, I'm, you're not healed yet, are you? <laughs> You've got these gaping Galen wounds or something. That you uh, know, I actually do think about that ex- almost every day. You're kidding me. But from a good, from a good perspective. I so, hope from okay, a good hold on. So, so let's set the stage for everybody that's listening that wasn't in this initial conversation the two of you had. Because I've heard about it tangentially. So this so, was a blog post. Okay. So Bob Galen, the voracious <laughs> do you, do you writer. Wanna, do you want to read it? <laughs> you know, I wasn't prepared for this one, but it's so ingrained in my memory that. So what did I what did I say? Is this the you? Uh, is this the, the pickling thing? You can get pickled if you're inside too long. Yeah, like basically, you said inside coaches are worthless and. No, I'm kidding. You didn't say worthless. Didn't there, say there's worthless. a there's a danger to inside. So it's the coaching pick, inside. It's the pickling get, thing. You can yeah. become nor you can become yeah. assimilated by the culture. Correct. Yeah, right, All right. And you and you were. I had a very visceral reaction to that because I've I've been an internal coach my entire career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so very visceral reaction. My I was coming back at you with well, as long as you're living out of your values, then. Yeah, you have no fear. Of- I remember that over coffee. It was a, like, if, uh, and I don't remember much. I can't remember where I put my cup of coffee this morning, but I, I do remember that. This we actually had this at Agile twenty nineteen. I think or something. We yeah, we were at the same conference. Um, so, but, what, what, but I think what do you about think this about every- so now in a new organization, um, they have a, a wonderful agile environment. A lot of great things going on. Super, super proud to be there. But I think about your statement a lot because there's a lot of things that I see in terms of, oh, man, we could – I could challenge this. I could challenge this. I could step in here. I could do that. And really weighing the, okay, if I do that, what's the cause and effect here? But if I don't do that, am I just assimilating to the culture? Am I allowing bad behaviors to go? So for me, it's actually it's actually been a really nice uh, barometer of should I act or should I not act? Am I – um, acquiescing to a problem, or am I sequentially addressing the problems in a specific order so that I don't change too many things at one time? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of variables. I mean, one of my reactions, I think, when I was when I was writing in that moment, I had I had attended a coaching breakfast here locally, and this was a long a while back, and a bunch of coaches from a a, a company were feeling unempowered. Uh, by their, they, these were consulting coaches. So these were external, a consulting firm had put them into a company. They were internal coaches. They had been there a few years. Uh, but the consulting company itself was putting a lot of constraints on them, like what they could and could not say. So they could coach yeah. down, but they could not coach up. Uh, yeah. And, and from their point of view, most of the roles should, they were, they were starting to get to impediments where most of the, 
they were thinking that most of their coaching should be upward, right? And they were just caught in this sort of this this you know this problem, and and uh, and then and now now the politics of it, the or the economics of it, was forcing it, it was tremendously changing their coaching the coaching approach, and they were sad. And I, this is the backstory. What I, what I just realized, I, I'm like, I was just thinking, why are they look? They, they, I mean, their body language was like their little heads were hanging down and stuff, and they were really, you know, sort of grousing about it. And I, my heart went out to them. And I, and <laughs> classic. <laughs> my phone's on mute, <laughs> and I'm a rookie. Sorry, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now, but, so that that came up with that as well. Is what are these dynamics that you know? If you could go in perfectly, what there's no there's no outside forces. Right. You go in, you read, you coach, right? And but then there's that's not realistic. Then there's all this nuance. I've been there a long time. I've established relationships, or I have a consulting role. And what does it start doing to your coaching? Uh, I almost think you know a change of scenery sometimes is you. It's it's almost the same argument we make with uh, companies. Sure. Right. You can be. I. I. I don't know. The question is: Have you ever been with a company too long? I can safely say I've been at a company for too long. Mm -hmm. I, I waited too long. I only knew that later on, but I, I hung out too long. And it's the same thing. If you get immersed, you start compromising things. So I'm going to do a very dangerous thing. I'm going to agree with Bob. That hurts to say. And the reason <laughs> I say, the reason I'm willing to go there is that I have no idea what you, I'm waiting for what you're yeah, going to say. What are you agreeing on? I, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> he said a lot there. I did. did. I'm agreeing about the external versus internal. I think doing both has made a huge difference in how I approach things. Oh, I'm with you. Yeah. When I stepped out and became an external coach, I felt this like, because I knew I was there for a short period of time. I had to make a difference like right now. I couldn't play the long game and I am the master of the long game. Like that's my thing. That's what I do. I say, I'm like erosion. I'm going to win eventually, right? Just you might not even know it, but over time, things are going to change. And that's the typical approach that I take. But becoming an external coach changed that for me. And that has been, it's given me a much better balance where I would always play the long game when there are times where I needed to, to just go in and be clinical and precise and just like, nope, change this now. And that changed the way that I approach things. And I still, like, like Eric said, I try and remind myself of that because now I'm not an external coach anymore. So I, I try and have that, which direction, which way should I play this? And having had the opportunity slash challenge to go into the, the external coach, it gave me another tool in my tool belt that I can choose or choose not to use. It's not just internal, external, though. I mean, it's duration. Yeah. Right. So I'll go in. I, re I remember, what's his name? Dan Mizick. He talks about open space agility and, and there's a coach with that. So you do, he has like a, a long arc, hundred day or something like chunk. So you go into an open space event, you invite people to come in, like this is an agile transformation. The team and the leadership team comes up with what, what are we going to try? It could be tactics and things like that. And there's a hit, and then Dan hangs out. There's a coach for that 100 days. 
but they're reminded. But that's all they. St- that coach leaves after a hundred days. They mm-hmm. don't come back, and then they'll plan another hundred days with another coach with another open space, and they sort of bounce it that way. It, he's intentional with getting the hell out of Dodge, because it put it just it puts a reflection. So it's he's external. But there's also how long do I have? So I could be external and have five years. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be playing the long game. That's going to influence me. But very often, and that's what people don't realize with me, and I have to be careful to be patient sometimes and not be too aggressive. But sometimes I'm only in there like a week mm-hmm. or two weeks or three weeks. If you had a three-week interval with your company, imagine and you're seeing all this stuff and you want to have the biggest impact that you can. So it's internal, external, but duration. And I think that duration also plays a part in how you're received. Because if you're going to be there for a shorter period of time, and the organization is at least receptive to you being there, they are already like trying to kick you out the door. They're like, okay, Eric, give us everything. And they're open, and they are more sponge-like than if they know they've got you for the next infinity right they're like oh yeah okay cool we'll get there and maybe they choose not to really engage with you because you're not gone in an instant effectively right so there i think there's there's some balance there there's there there's something there there's a level of intensity with short duration yeah and i'm not i and i don't think you can be an internal short duration i'm not suggesting yeah. you know i'm going to internally go in for 3 months and external can sometimes and not all externals but there's something to be said for duration dan talks about it uh, as an example, I'm only bringing it up as an mm-hmm. example, but he he's like, they start getting really scared. He says, I usually send a reminder out with 30 days, and then I have a counter, <laughs> a countdown. Because, because he's like, I am done. If you like what I'm doing, right, I'm walking out the door. So it's incumbent on you all mm-hmm. to pick my brain and things like that. And it re- it does change the dynamics. It does change the level of engagement sometimes. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I think about, and this actually gets to another topic that is kind of stuck in my craw, if you will, uh, is lasting change, right? Yeah. Is the, you well, know. Well, you're nailing on all cylinders here, you know. I like that one yeah. as well. So, is the, the you know, the land and expand, the, the blitzkrieg or whatever you want to call it, the short duration, does that produce lasting change? And I'm sure there are, there mm. are stories on both sides. I think. The thing why I've gone internal for my career, besides the fact that I'm a chicken and haven't done external coaching because of other reasons, um, is that I find that with these with change to the magnitude that we're talking about requires a buttload of trust. And trust, the old saying, you know, is earned in drops and lost in buckets. And to create the systemic change that we're looking to create in organizations takes time. It takes repetition. It takes relationship building. And that's the part that I absolutely love. I love getting in there and building the trust, seeing behaviors change, seeing the system improve on a day-to-day basis. That, But that lack of trust, I mean, it's it's pervasive in – in business, which is is mind blowing to me, that we have that this fundamental thing is missing in a lot of places. It's it's a simple thing to think about, but man, is it hard to do mm-hmm. in practice. I don't know if 
I'm not poking at trust. I'm poking at like stickiness. It's like, great. It's like the stickiness of a transformation. Uh, I don't know if, if longevity, like I've been in internal and, you know, like, like agile stickiness, you know, you can be working with a change agent who leaves and the stickiness crumbles. Right. And I can, so I can, I can be at, at a place for five years and I've seen mergers and acquisitions and the, and the agile goes, you know, out the window. So I don't know. I don't know if hanging your hat on stickiness, whether it's internal, external trust, not trust. Right. Right. I think, I think one of the, like the, I don't know, the hardest things is to create sticky agile transformations for any coach. And, and you may, and very often you're not even there. Like it, what, what you were transloc. I doubt whether transloc is sticky now or in the way, and two years from now, is it going to be sticky? So, so it's like sticky with the people. I guess what I'm trying to say is yeah. it, it's, I, I don't try to hang my hat on stickiness in an organization because there's so many conditions where, and I've almost cried, like when I left eye contact, you know, merger and acquisition and they fired good people. And it just, I mean, I did cry actually. I was, it, it was just heartbreaking what happened, but then what happened, what happened. So the organization wasn't sticky. And if you can get that, that's great. But stickiness with the people is what stuck with me. Like, did I influence people? Like yep. there's still people that I met there who are sticky agile to this day. Uh, to their credit. I wonder, react to that. So I don't know, like, I don't want to hang that. Maybe you want to hang that hat. Again, you could say my success is related to organizational stickiness. I'm going to be a wimp, right? I'm not going to tie my success to that because it just, it'll make me sad. Well, I think it has to be nuanced, right? To your point, um, take Translook as an example. Uh, They do have an agile program today. Um, I know the people that are doing it and they, they do well. But the organization is completely different. That's right? my point. There, right? A lot of people have left. A lot of people have changed. So that whole organization, it, it's not the same organization. CEO's gone. That change agent is gone. You're right. gone. Again, I'm, all I'm saying is that's the sustainability. I would bet that's not the vision of Agile now. So or, so hanging our hat on that, I think, is a hard thing. Right. I, I think to your point, it's the people, right? I, I heard something a long time ago, um, man, movement, or monument. Is it about the man? Is it about the person? Is it a, a personality thing? Is that what they're building? It's just all about them. Is it a monument? Like, a, you know, again, more about what they've done, kind of their things. Or is it a movement? Are you inspiring people? Yeah. Are you changing the way people think, act, and behave on a daily basis? To me, that that is the most. See, and that's thing. that's what I'm hanging my hat on, right? Again, I'm not adverse to trying to change an organization. But it's it's fluid. It's such yeah. a, it's so freaking fluid. Um, what do you have to say about that? So I I think all three of us have had the opportunity to create movements in organizations that that we've been in, and the reason I say that is because I can think of people that I've worked with, that Bob's worked with, that Eric has worked with that carry that same mindset forward that we helped create that maybe it's not all concentrated in that company where, where you slash we were together, but they have taken that with them and they are now 
creating a, a mini movement in their company. And yeah. so it started to spread. And I think the thing that's cool is that, again, I've worked with somebody that each of you have worked with while creating that movement. And I see it and I feel it and I understand that they were a part of that. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the lasting success that I try to hold on to is that are there others out there continuing to build the thing that we built together, that it made a difference in their life. And wherever they go, they're like, we got to do that again. Like, how do I do that? How do I get more people right. that think like that? How does that happen? That That's the, that's the success that I look for. Because again, there are there, and I don't like saying this. There are many variables that you can't control in an organization. I don't, I'm very uncomfortable with that. So I try and control as many variables yeah. as possible to prevent that. But the reality is acquisitions, I know Eric went through that. I've been through that. Bob's been through that where like things were rocking and rolling. And then like the earth changed right under your feet and you're like WTF, like how do I navigate out of this? And again, I hate nothing more than being told there's nothing you can do about it. But there were times where there really was nothing I could do about it. But did that movement we create together last so that's what i'm really focusing on the solace of it right it's not because you can you can get depressed and say well i had no effect and and, and i'm like no push that off to the side you had an effect on yeah. people right that's the sustainability part so organizational sustainability is sort of a nice to have to me people's sustainability like touching lives 100%. that's that's something that that sticks with me yeah well to toot your horn a little bit maybe Give you a bigger head so you can fit into Josh's hat. You'd have to compliment me for the next two years. Yeah, to, to make up for some of the birds. No, 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 to go into the hat. Oh, <laughs> that, oh did I say that it? out loud? I'm sorry. I'm not arguing. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, but one of the things that we, when I was at Transloc, one of the things we talked about a lot was the eye contact diaspora. Like, if we, we knew if they came from eye contact, if they had that in their background, they were a solid, agile. Yeah, practitioner, and that's—I know that you're a big Thanks. role in that. And no, it's—I mean, I see those people to this day, and I'm amazed. It, it, and it's the spirit of people that, to me, is is what this is about. You see someone who's grown from that, so it's not just are they agile, but when you knew them, and then they've taken it and they've run with it, and things like mm -hmm. that. And I see, I see that all the time. I'm not all the time, but when I do see it, I'm very appreciative of that, right, and thankful for being involved in that. Yep. What else is in your? Do we have any other? Do we have time? Do we have time? No, I think we should probably wrap it up. Wrap it up. We're at a solid hour here. How do we? We need. I feel like we need some kind of impactful like wrap up or something like that. Maybe like a pet peeve. Freestyle. What, what's freestyle? Oh my gosh. Hamilton style. Rap battle. What are you? Talking? Drop a beat. <laughs> Remember, remember I, Brontosaurus, right? I'm, I'm right. We just chew. <laughs> we just chew. You're a dinosaur. Uh, I'm a dinosaur. You don't like the sore. I have no idea what the when hell you you're walk talking a lot, about. Your knees get sore. Wow, this is okay. Let's let's finish this thing. No, We're, no, I, we are off. This is out of control. I gotta. What, Bob, what are you after? Uh, I like either a pet peeve. Uh, I want us to wrap with something. Or what is our biggest vision for 20? Because we have the Eric here. To oh, okay. The Eric. Yeah. So the Eric. Uh, what's our biggest uh, biggest hope for Agile in 2021? Biggest, biggest pivot, biggest hope. I, I will go because I have something. 
that we just accept that the revision of the scrum guide is really a non-issue. I I've heard so much talk. Give it to me about you and I. I'm, the scrum I went to the, guide. I went to the same people up in arms about it. No, not just like no, it, just the freaking discussion. Yeah, the webinars explaining it, the recordings of it. Are you serious? Oh no, oh. it's it's live I'm, streams watching live it and streams having watching reactions. It. And let yeah. me let me do a poetic reading right to rap music of the scrum guide. <laughs> when for <laughs> how many decades? <laughs> That never existed. Like, oh, I, there's a new version. Let's like, so I don't know if it's like content charging for yeah, it. Like Let me just, help you. And it's charging for it. No, charging for like an interpretation. It's it's out. It's yeah. so I'm with you. Yeah, I just, I, I hope wow. like 2021 to me is this the Scrum Guide becomes a non-issue. Yeah, because it's clearly an issue right now, right. and I don't understand. And they're it. arguing about it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, because it has changed some things like the team. They added a product goal, so so if you haven't read, there's there's some there's just some changes. Yeah, I saw but, the changes, but they that, weren't that they weren't. No, yeah. it's the community is just yes. insane. Yeah, right. I was even going to run. So this never happens to me, Josh. Mm. It almost mm. never happens to me. All the hubbub, and I was going to write a blog post because you know I'm always inspired <laughs> yeah, to write. Yeah, I know. And I was going to write like an anti blog post, and I said, "Screw it! I'm not even going to." Because then I'm just contributing to the stupidity. So I actually stopped myself from. I never stopped myself from writing. Yeah, but I'm like Eric I'm, has has felt he that. has experienced that. No, the scrum guide is just. It's like go get a life. Yeah, like shut I, up. and I get it. And there's changes, cool, but I don't understand the fervor around the changes and to your point all of the discussion and dialogue and debate and webinars and all of the things like it, it's 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 never happened before right so it has never happened before and i don't know what's now it's the 25th anniversary of scrum so and they're releasing it sort of tied to that so that's part of the hoopla but holy crap so that's us. Wow. I, I'm yeah, I'm tag teaming. I just want that to go away. That is that is silly, 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 silly. Wow. I'm, and it's, I'm blown and, away. It's a, and it's an evolution. It's like this is agile. Yeah. And you're whining about the guide evolving, right? It's like respond to change. Exactly. Uh, so what do you have something? I think my hope. I think you actually said it earlier, something that's been mulling around my brain a bit is coaching up and I would love to see more agile practitioners have the courage to speak truth to power um, in a effective manner, not in a uninformed, unnuanced manner, but in a way that promotes and effectuates change. Well, if you're looking for tips and tricks on how to coach or up or how to speak truth to power, Bob and I have recorded multiple episodes of Absolutely. that. So there are resources out there. So take Eric's guidance and go listen. Yeah. And then tell us what we missed and what we got wrong. And then we'll talk about it so again and maybe like have Eric here. One, you and I tag team doing a tactical yeah. one. Eric hit like, I think like a strategic we need to get better at doing that. Mm -hmm. Yes. When you were talking, I also thought of self-awareness become, I don't know if folks are self-aware of the responsibility to do it or that they're not doing it. Like I see people who think they're coaching up and they think they're speaking truth to power 
And they're not even coming close to speaking truth to power, right? So there's a self-awareness part of it as well. Yeah. Very cool. That's a nice way to, to yeah. sort of spring forward. Okay. So from beautiful downtown Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. I'm Bob Galen. I'm Josh Anderson. Shake. And bake. Take care, (laughs) y'all. Yeah, Eric, we do that.